When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. All right, welcome back to another edition of the Dungeon of Doom. I'm Kyle Mankey, Lions beat writer for MLive, joined as always by Ben. Ben, how you doing? I'm good, man. I'm good. It's very warm outside. It's this weird feeling of starting to sweat while recording the podcast. I'm not complaining about it. Uh, and we're closer to the draft, baby. So it's it's a good time of year. <laughs> yeah, it's been in the 70s. I think it cracked 80 yesterday in, in, here in the Detroit area. Um, played a couple rounds of, of disc golf with our friend uh, Justin Rogers from the Detroit News. Snow and Bianchi as well. Or as, as uh, Graham Glasgow calls it, bang and chains, which bang I, and chains. <laughs> I'm still dying uh, 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 over. <laughs> but um, the warm weather, Ben, uh, it means the NFL draft is, is not that far away. And um, thankfully, I, I think you and I both get pretty exhausted by this process. Um, you know, a fun way to kind of shake up um, this never-ending cycle of prospects and visits and mock drafts and round and round for, you know, for forever is uh, Millbag. You know, we hadn't opened up the Millbag here on the podcast in a while. I actually just did one on MLive and print this week and got some good questions. So it just felt like a good time. Two weeks out, uh, actually from today, right? Um, yeah. Written this on Thursday. Um, exactly two weeks out. From the draft, Lions hold picks at 6-18. and 18. Um, There's been some noise about maybe moving up. Um, and we've got a good question to kind of start there, Ben, and that's kind of where the conversation has been lately. It feels like around maybe, you know, it, 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 could the Lions move up and is Will Anderson maybe the target or maybe C.J. Stroud, who they just had in for a visit um, this week. So so let's, let's, let's start there, shall we? Um, this question comes from Count Willis. I keep seeing smoke for Will Anderson either falling to six or the Lions moving up to three to go get him. How realistic is this? And how excited are we allowed to get asking for a friend? <laughs> uh, I think Mel Kuyper was the most recent mock, you know, major mock draft that I saw with Will Anderson. He had Will Anderson at six um, just this week, Ben. So I guess your thoughts on that. How realistic do you think Will Anderson being there at six is? Or do you think it'll take a maybe a a trade up the board. I I really do think it'll take a trade up the board for Will Anderson to fall to Detroit. And the only problem I had with Mel's recent mock draft was Jalen Carter going before Will Anderson. And that's, I, I felt weird about that before we even knew about all these red flags about Jalen Carter, just because premier blue chip edge defenders are 
it's not even about it being a premium position. It's just about what that guy can do to the game and just like what can show up in the stat sheet and also how he can change the game. And I mean, there just aren't many guys who have the production that a guy like Will Anderson does at such a premium NFL position. And he doesn't come with red flags. I mean, we haven't talked about this guy much because there's not much to debate about Will Anderson. He's a stud. He's rock solid. He was at that Heisman ceremony with Aiden Hutchinson in 2021, plays in fifth. That's really hard to do as a defensive end. I mean, this guy, I I, I just, I, I don't think he's making it to six. And on the other side of that question, I, it's possible the Lions have the ammunition to move up. I, I just don't think that's their MO, at least yet. You know, I, I think that there's enough defensive like starters not down the line in this first round of this draft that they're, their smartest move is either trading back and getting more picks or staying at six and 18 and letting the board fall to them. I mean, that's either going to be Jalen Carter, Will Anderson, or Tyree Wilson, or even Devin Witherspoon at six. And that's a pretty, pretty good crop for a team that really needs to supercharge their young defense. I, I differ just a little bit on your last point. I, I, I think that like moving down has been their MO, uh, you know, um, acquiring um, more ammunition for this rebuild. But the rebuild for me is entering a different stage now where you're not just trying to stockpile as many picks, as many bullets as you can um, to build up the middle class of the roster. I, I think the middle class of the roster is as good as I've seen it in Detroit in a long time. What they really need in in my view is playmakers that like they just lack playmakers and and it's 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 getting better um you know jameson williams coming you know fully operational here in 2023 will uh will help you know aiden hutchinson certainly looks like that Amon ross St. brown is definitely already that you know they got some some guys popping up across the roster but they they need more help and that's particularly true i think in the defensive front seven and so you know, I mean, standing pad at six and eighteen is totally fine. But if they're talking about trading out of the pick at six, I honestly think, and I put some thought into this after my mailbag just the other day, someone had asked me about it. But I, I actually genuinely think they're more likely to trade up than down at this point, um, because they're at that point where they're clearly loading up for a run at it this year, um, mm-hmm. based on all the, the 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 moves they've made, the money they spent in free agency, where they spent that money um you know at, at, at you know in the secondary um and so if they love will anderson and and what's not to love yeah, exactly anderson, yeah and they believe he's going to be gone by six which i think is a near certainty sorry mel kuyper <laughs> i mean that 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 mock like <laughs> we both talked about it on the side so i feel you man <laughs> well we're just in that silly season. I think we're both like suffering from draft fatigue, but Mel Kuyper had a mock three weeks ago where he had, where did Will Anderson go? Do you remember? Was it three, something like that? Yeah, it was, yeah. I think it was Cardinals. Yeah. Yeah. Which makes sense, which makes all, all the sense in the world. Three weeks later, Will Anderson drops three spots to the Lions at six, even though I don't think anyone sees that happening for probably the best, cleanest defensive prospect in this draft and happens to be at a premium position that everyone wants uh even my my bigger bone to pick with mal kuyper was at 18 where three weeks ago he had them taking uh notre dame uh notre dame tight end michael Mayer. Yep. three weeks later he had them taking uh Bijan robinson right yep. uh which is fine but 
why the change of heart? There's there there was no combine. There's no games play. There's there's nothing changing in the evaluation. So like, why why are you changing it three weeks later? And Michael Mayer, by the way, dropped eight more spots from <laughs> eighteen to twenty six. It, it it's just throwing effing darts at a board, man. It's it's the kitchen sink approach to mock drafts. And the only reason, in my view, and maybe I'm going in a little hard here on Mel Kiper, but in my view, the only reason to have Will Anderson magically suddenly dropping to six three weeks after you had him in your top three, just like everybody else in the country, mm-hmm. is to generate page views on the internet, to generate clout. And uh, it doesn't feel like a genuine analysis to me. Um, so uh, soapbox aside, Ben, <laughs> I think Will Anderson's going to be long gone by six. And if, it, 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 if the Lions want to get him, it's going to take a trade up the board. I don't know if trading away those resources it probably take the, the one of their picks in the second round plus some something else uh, uh to make to make that happen um then i think tyree wilson is a fabulous uh fit for them and we've talked about him i had him in my last mock draft for detroit and that was before free agency i think their moves in free agency makes tyree wilson or someone like that even more likely um but um, you know, if the move up the board for Will Anderson, I, I, I'm on board for that. Like Will Anderson with Aiden Hutchinson, then you are yeah. talking about something real, a possible, you know, um, a real schematic advantage there in the defensive line, which we haven't seen in in Detroit in a real long time. No, for sure. And I mean, it, it is. I mean, these mocks are just. I mean, Hendon Hooker going in the top five of NFL Network draft mock drafts, and he's in the first round. Of, I mean, seriously, the only way that Will Anderson is going to fall is if like there are five quarterbacks in the first five picks. Like, so it's I'm with you, man. It's just we've been covering the draft for four and a half months now and people are trying to keep it fresh. (laughs) Well, it happens every year. And, you know, like Will Anderson could fall to six. Like we've seen strange things happen before. And like you said, if there's if there's four quarterbacks and someone really loves Jalen Carter that much, Seattle or whoever, then it can happen. It's not so much like I don't think that it will but like my beef is not necessarily Will Anderson at six it's it's just like the arbitrary moving of pieces in a mock draft to generate clout which is what many national analysts do and not all of them Dane Brugler from the athletic man that guy's like a god to me and and like I really lean heavily uh into what he does because it feels like it comes from a genuine place of talent evaluation now it was the same thing with Mike Mayock before he actually went into like into right. the business became the general manager of the Raiders, which tells you all you need to know about what people in the league thought about what he was doing. It was real analysis versus uh, one week. It's Michael Mayer one week, the next week it's, it's, it's somebody else just for the, you know, to, to generate clicks. Okay. I'm getting on my soapbox. We're getting off the rails just a little bit. Um, uh, yeah. Will Anderson's a, a, a intriguing fit though. Um Jason DeWitt asks kind of a a follow-up to what we're talking about here, Ben. Um, Jason asks, how likely is it the Lions trade up or back with the number six pick? And we kind of hit on that already, but what, what do you think on, on possible trades out of that pick? I, I do think it's possible. I, I think a lot of what we just talked about with like the Lions going for it this year, a trade up the board is totally in the question. They've got the ammunition to do it, but a trade back in a year where there's four quarterbacks that people are trying to get their hands on there's so many quarterback needy teams and 
I mean, they're trying to get up the board. That number six spot, you you could get a Will Levis. You could get maybe an Anthony Richardson. You could get one of those quarterbacks that slides there. So, I mean, it's, it's realistic. I, I, I really do expect it to be a very active market at three, five, and six, those those fringy maybe quarterback teams. I mean, they should have the phones open for every team that's got a quarterback needy team in the league going right now because it's very possible, very possible. See, I think you bring up a great point, Ben. Like, I think that, as I already said, like, I think a trade-up is more likely than a trade-back for Detroit. But I think the example where a trade-back really can materialize is if there's a quarterback who falls. And given the lack of depth in this quarterback class and how many teams need quarterbacks, especially teams that are already in the top 10, I really don't see that happening. I think we're going to see, at minimum, uh, three quarterbacks in the top five. And it could be as many as four. But let's say three of those guys go and there's like a Will Levis or an Anthony Richardson that's that's uh, still out there at six, then yeah, I, I'm totally with you. That's a, that's a scenario where the Lions could trade back a spot or two or three and still get a really quality edge rusher or cornerback, for example. Devon Witherspoon is there. Christian Gonzalez is there. Tyree Wilson. Miles um, Murphy's somewhere in that discussion around 10. You know, there's um, a lot of ways that you could go. And I think that that is a trade back situation that would be appealing to the Lions. But you also said, I, I think you nailed it when you said that they have a lot of ammunition already. And I think in a year where you're going into, like, you you want to win, um, you want to contend right now and you have a guy like will anderson uh that you could trade up for at number three that is a situation that it appeals to me greatly um and i and i would be on board with that something we haven't talked about ben um is trading up for a quarterback which i think if you want to take a quarterback and you know they just had cj stroud in the other day they've met with anthony richardson um they're definitely doing their homework on the class and that makes sense with some unanswered questions about what they're doing at quarterback. I don't think they're going to have uh, one of the top franchise guys fall to them at six. And if it did, uh, you know, maybe they pull the trigger. I think more likely with when it, when it comes to the quarterback thing in the first round for Detroit, we're probably talking about a trade up. If a guy, you know, if they like Stroud among all the guys and Stroud doesn't go one or two, for example, then maybe they, they, they make that trade up the board. Uh, how would you feel about, a trade up for not Will Anderson, but for one of these quarterbacks. Uh, only if it's for Anthony Richardson, to be completely honest with you. Yeah. You know, I, I I just think he's I don't think Bryce Young or is getting past the first two picks. I don't think that's in the question. That's the other guy I'd consider. But only if it's for Anthony Richardson, just because he perfectly fits the timeline and he like checks all those freaking boxes of just being an out of this world potential monster and the some of the things he does. I mean, one thing that we don't talk about Anthony Richardson enough. I mean, this kid's pocket presence is really impressive. Like there's some we talk about the athletic tools. There, there's a lot of gifts there. And that that is the one guy that if Brad Holmes said, screw it, let's swing for the fences, let's set this thing up long term, that's the guy I would be fine with. Anything else? I mean, if it's not Anderson or if it's not Richardson, stay where you're at is my opinion on that for sure. The um, short-sightedness of a lot of, a lot of folks um, is interesting when it comes to the quarterback debate. Yeah. And I, I get it. Like, the last time we saw Jared Goff, he was a top five quarterback in the nfl yeah i mean the, the last time he was in a uniform was at the pro bowl <laughs> like yeah throwing dimes <laughs> like, yeah no doubt <laughs> hitting like sky cams or whatever yeah it was pretty cool i, I watched <laughs> i mean i i had to but um <laughs> yeah right i was flying back from mobile while that was happening that's right <laughs> yeah yeah um but so i i get it and and, and look like listen 
Detroit hasn't won in forever. So people just want to see a winner and they can taste it. It's right there. Like I can understand why they want to go for broke, uh, you know, go all in uh, this year. But they're like the Lions stated goal is not, you know, build a contender for year three of the rebuild or year four or any particular year. Their goal is to build a foundation for a consistent winner. There's different ways that you can do that. A 28-year quarterback playing at a high level, as Jerry Goff has, uh, gets you a lot of the way there. But there's no better way to building a lasting, consistent winner than elite quarterback play. And for as good as Jerry Goff played last year, and even in the second half of the year before that, his skill set, the, the player that he is, is not elite. And... I'm not trying to dog him. I I definitely dogged him in his early days because in Detroit because he was he was horrendous in that like first training camp. I mean, like I, I count in one hand the number of like 15 yard passes he completed through the air like mm-hmm. on on certain days of 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 camp. And so yeah, I was I was hard on him. I think I was harder on him than most. And he's proven to me like how much better he is than I thought he was. But I still don't see an elite quarterback and while he's racking up a lot of wins down the stretch last year and I think that they're headed toward a similar thing next year and with you know the lack of top quarterback play in the NFC the window for competitiveness in the uh, NFC North in particular like you can get by with a guy like Jared Goff but if you're trying to win Super Bowls like you're eventually going to run into a fucking buzzsaw um uh, every year, and I think it's a buzzsaw that like, you're you're gonna come up short on with with Jared Goff, and so ultimately, if you're thinking about that final step, and not just how how do we get to ten wins or eleven wins or twelve wins, if you're trying to think about that next step of winning Super Bowls, um, you have to think about a better quarterback. And if none of these guys in this draft are that guy, which maybe is the case, then bag it. Use those two first round picks go continue building out the roster and see what's what next year but if you do that you're going to you're, you're running into a problem with Jared Goff's contract because he's going to need 40 million dollars annually in his next deal and that next deal he probably it probably has to come next year next year is a contract year you typically don't want a quarterback playing on a contract year you could push it down the road but then you're running into even more continuity issues at that position um, and it could get more expensive, even more expensive to have a guy like Jared Goff, who we've already seen fall apart in LA when things aren't perfect. And so what happens, like, let's say Ben, Ben, they, they kill it this year, Ben Johnson leaves and suddenly Jared Goff doesn't have his quarterback whisperer anymore and he falls apart, but now you're paying him $45 million a year to be the Jared Goff that we saw in, in 2020 in LA, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and you're, so I, I think they're coming to a, a a point in the road where they have to really seriously consider their their long term future at quarterback, and they're hitting that point at a time when they have two top twenty picks, one of which is already at number six, and and so I I, I just think they're doing the right thing right now by by hosting C.J. Stroud by by meeting with Anthony Richardson. Um, it wouldn't be surprise me to see a Will Levis uh visit at some point between now and the draft. Um, you know, 
every quarterback pick is a gamble. So, so, so maybe they just determine that's not a gamble they want to make. Maybe I would understand it, but um, the number of people just dismissing this conversation because Jared Goff put up some like nice touchdown and yardage numbers last year for a, a, a nine and eight team yeah. is interesting to me. I, I think now is the time to kind of evaluate this quarterback class and, and they have the resources to do it. If the right guy falls to them outside those top two picks. Yeah, I'm absolutely with you. It's a very confusing time because, like, they're trying to win now. Jared Goff is a top five NFC quarterback. The NFC quarterback situation is not pretty, but it's like we have seen his best. I feel very, very confident the last eight weeks of last season were his absolute best. That That is his ceiling. It's great. Top five NFL, top six NFL guy, like when he's playing like that. But the sustainability of how he was playing last year still – Concerns me. It wasn't fluky. It was real. But just like going that long without a turnover, going that such a turnover prone guy for six, seven years without fumbling the ball, without throwing an interception, that's not sustainable. So what happens when he kind of floats back into that? Maybe he's still a top 10 quarterback, but I don't think that's good enough to get him over the hump. This is a rare opportunity right here. And like that that scenario that you laid out, golf making $45 million a year and Ben Johnson being the head coach somewhere else, the thought that went through my head is that's how you re-enter a 25-year-old, a 25-year rebuild and go right back to where you were. I mean, <laughs> that that I mean that that is, I mean, they are close to like regular contention and they are close to being right back to where they are if they mess up this quarterback thing. And I mean, that is the volatility of Jared Goff. We have seen his best, we have seen his worst. What's real? And I I just think uh Man, you need to kick all the freaking tires because the top of this class is actually good. Like, I have problems with a couple of them, but they're all NFL starting quarterbacks that could and should be better than Jared Goff. So it's it's tough, man. It's tough. Yeah. It, as you were talking, Ben, I don't know what triggered this thought, but it, like in real time, this is not even something I thought about before. But I, I was thinking about 2020 and maybe it's just because Jeff Okuda just got got traded, yeah. but they had this this sort of question in 2020 that had a, a, a win now mandate from ownership uh, or else basically, right? Like with the coaching staff and that regime. And so they did the predictable thing, which was they, they, they plugged in the best, most polished prospect at a position of need, which was Jeff Okuda, while not taking a quarterback who, you know, wouldn't have played right away because of Matthew Stafford, but would have given you long-term security at, at, at quarterback, uh, and you could have developed a successor to Stafford rather than paying him a bazillion dollars. Um, the top two quarterbacks in the class who went right after Jeff Okuda were Tua Tango Viola and Justin Herbert. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so you, you, I mean, and of course Okuda didn't. And now, then, then you had, um, you know, you had you missed the opportunity to to draft a long term successor. A quarterback and a guy who could have been on a rookie contract for for years to come, and you could build around that. So kind of like it's different now, but it's kind of the same sort of um, conversation where it's like you have competent quarterback play, better than I mean, it's pretty good quarterback play. Yeah. But is Jerry Goff going to be your guy? Uh, if if you really think he is, and you really think he's capable of that, then of course he's worth forty five million dollars. I, I just don't know that he is, and I think that he's been propped up a lot by an amazing well-designed scheme by Ben Johnson. And I, and I worry about the like long-term ramifications of paying a guy like that when he can lose his guy, uh, you know, within a year or two years or, or what have you. And then also miss your opportunity right now with two top 20 picks. Um, and 
what five in the top 81, which is the league high, like having that kind of ammunition to go get a quarterback and and, and not doing it, but then like maybe being a, a nine and eight, 10 and seven kind of team down the road where you're don't have these kind of draft picks to, to go get your guy. Yeah. And the last thing you want to do with Jared Goff, I think is getting to a situation where he's on the final year of his deal and you're asking him about franchise tag or future contracts and stuff like that, because I think keeping that dude mental state where it is right now has to be at the top of the priority list for the short-term thinking. So it's, it's a dangerous birdcage right now for sure. Dangerous birdcage. I love it. I love it. Um, Lined with our newspapers, no doubt. Um, yeah, no doubt. <laughs> uh, okay, so this next question is from Dan Ronane, and it just kind of piggybacks off this discussion a little bit, Ben. Um, does the offer to Teddy Two Gloves, which I presume to be Teddy Bridgewater, <laughs> <That's great. laughs> indicate the Lions are planning to draft a quarterback uh, if he signs, they would already have three under contract. So I, I guess this was a thought that occurred in my head when I saw the report this week that the Lions had made a, quote, strong offer uh, to Teddy, Teddy Bridgewater. Um, but I'm curious, do you have any thoughts on how that relates to golf or maybe their intentions to draft a quarterback? I, I, I have a hard read on this because Teddy would immediately be one of, if not the best backup quarterback in the league. You know, I'm not going to chip or tape parade for the guy or anything but i do think that's as stable as you can get at the backup quarterback situation but uh i can't even if it is a strong contract offer i can't imagine it would be for any more than one year so i don't think i mean it would really change the outlook if it was going to be a quarterback in the draft because either way jared goff is going to be the starter on this team and i mean pairing a young dude i know that's a lot of quarterbacks going into the season but pairing another young dude with two veteran guys like that it doesn't really change my mind. I I think it would take quarterback trading up off the board, but I think they would be in a situation where if the board fell to them the way they liked it, they would still go for somebody like a Richardson or something possibly. But I don't know. I was, I was kind of surprised by that too. It didn't really change my long-term thinking, but I mean, short-term man, it's a, it's, it's like, there's like Case Keenum, Teddy Bridgewater and Gardner Minshew at the top of like the backup quarterback list. I mean, similar play style to golf. I mean, that would be a pretty safe floor if anything happened, but uh, yeah, it doesn't really shift the long-term thinking short-term. Sure. But long-term nah. Yeah. I mean, first of all, like uh, you have to be wary of what you believe this time of year. There's a lot of agents posturing, uh, trying to drum up interest for their clients. I believe that report came from the league's own media arm. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of, um, I don't know, motives at play outside of just relaying accurate information. So I don't know, maybe the Lions made an offer. Maybe the Lions said, hey, if we don't draft the quarterback high, we're going to offer Teddy this much money. I, like, like, we don't really know what the offer looked like. He, he he hasn't signed, you know, so it could be it could be any number of things. It could be a high, uh, uh, a lot of money for this year uh, or it could be maybe a long-term contract like we don't really know what any of that looks like so i can't really read too much into it i do think if they were to sign teddy bridgewater it would probably take a quarterback out of the mix in the first two days of the draft i don't because it, it's going to take real money to sign him he's one of the yeah. best clubs in the league and to get him to come here to a place where he's not going to play unless there's an injury to jerry goff it would take substantial money um we're not talking about you know, veteran minimums or anything here. So if they invest that kind of money in Teddy Bridgewater, when there's a contract to be, to be coming down the pipe for Jared Goff, I just don't know if they're going to also invest a high draft pick, that kind of resource 
into that room as well and then put even more money into that room. So, um, but then again, like I said, he has not signed. So we don't know what that quote unquote strong offer right. really means. I, I, I'm just, I wanted to throw it out there because people were wondering, I actually wondered it myself. I don't know how much we can read into it, but if he were to sign here, I do think that that, that takes probably a day one or day two quarterback off the table. And they'd probably just go try to find their Brock Purdy on day three, if, if anything. Yeah, we're in the same ballpark on that. And uh, ESPN's Jeremy Fowler did come out with okay. a little follow-up on that, too. And, hey, man, I remember Dan Campbell going out of his way to praise Teddy Bridgewater. So, you know, the guy loves him. But uh, I'm with you, too. I think if Teddy signed, I mean, you're, I think you're looking at a six, seven million one-year deal. That, and that's a pretty hefty investment for a guy that might not play too many snaps. Yep. But they need to after. Oh, for sure. <laughs> okay, let's move off the uh, the quarterback stuff. Jeremy Friedrichs asks uh, a pretty good question. He asks, I'm curious what you gents think about the tight end position. No big names on the roster, but lots of production last year. Lots of good options early in the draft. But why trade Hawkinson uh, just to use that pick on, on a replacement who may not be as productive? Thoughts? Yeah, it's a really deep tight end class, and I don't see the need to use 6 or 18 on it because, I mean, you might have to use that 18th pick to get a Mayor, Kincaid, or a Washington, maybe, but, like, this is a deep tight end class, and they need a tight end. They need a tight end. I don't think they need to force the issue because they did find a schematic fit, and they did prove to be able to get the most out of a guy like Brock Wright. I mean, seriously, they traded Hawkinson, they went 11 personnel, and they got cute with how they used Brock Wright. I mean, and it worked to a T, but I they need some talent in that room and anybody arguing against, Oh, Ben Johnson's already proved that his offense can succeed without a high end tight end. Well, giving him another weapon certainly wouldn't hurt. I would love to see this offense with a big slot guy with some of the ideas they had for Hawkinson. I mean, find somebody who can stay on their feet and block a little better. And I think this thing would be moving in the right direction, but I, I do get the sentiment to like, Oh my God, they trade Hawkinson just to use another first round pick on a tight end. I do get that added into the fact that this is a deep tight end class. And there are guys that I like scattered across the board here, round two, three, four, and five. I mean, I've, I've, I've gushed about Purdue's Payne Durham, but I really do think he's like a perfect fit for this team. If he's there in the third, fourth or fifth round. So I, I, I'm with you. I, I don't want to see a first round tight end. I think they can do a lot better than that. It's a deep class. I do expect an addition to that room though. I, I couldn't agree more, which I assume you probably figured out by my vigorous head nodding. <laughs> um, it, like they they need a tight end more than you think. And I know some people get hung up on the touchdowns from last year. They actually set a team record or tied a team record, something like that for touchdowns um, by tight ends, um, which I think is a real head nod to um, Ben Johnson, to Jared Goff, and of course to to the tight ends themselves. Brock Wright had that big game winner in New York against the Jets, you know, late in the fourth quarter. Um, great example of Brock Wright being a good player. Uh, great example of Ben Johnson scheming up something that fooled the, the shit out of uh, New York and they won a game because of it. Uh, Shane Zilstra had three touchdowns in a game uh, in Carolina, I believe, which is insane to think about because that was a horrific game. <laughs> Shane Zilstra had three touchdowns. That's, that broke um, my brain, you saying that again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My brain broke in, in Carolina. It's, it's never going to be the same. Um, but Ben, um, people got hung up on that, but I, I looked it up. You know who their leading receiver last year was at tight end? It was TJ Hawkinson, who played you know half the season or less. Uh, uh, 26 catches for 395 yards. 
after the trade, the tight ends in Detroit combined for 31 catches, 265 yards. That's the entire position group. So, like, Ben Johnson's amazing. Uh, Like, they traded away – like, they didn't have great tight end depth. They traded away their Pro Bowl tight end, then actually averaged more points per game – after that trade than before it um like three or four more points um a few uh you know fewer yards but better third down conversions better fourth down conversions and and ultimately more points which is the name of the game on offense uh anyway so i think they proved that they don't have to invest a top 10 pick or even a first round pick in a tight end that's not what this offense needs but there was also some trickeration going on with this with the schematics and while that's a head nod to to ben johnson it's like i i do worry about how sustainable that is now that there's a whole off season to digest a whole season's worth of film on ben johnson and i know he's um you know we talked a little bit in the you know at the combine with ben johnson about his process for evolving the offense forward and staying ahead of what defensive corners are trying to do but clearly um, there's a personnel deficiency at that position and addressing it in a meaningful way will help them stay one you know step ahead of of the curve uh, in terms of the NFL catching up to what they're trying to do. I would also mention like they have a former blocking tight end as their head coach. Mm-hmm. Um, ben Johnson himself uh, is a former tight ends coach. Um, this team really wants to run the ball and that doesn't mean they're going to run it a hundred times a game, but they want to control games on the ground. We've seen that repeatedly when they get leads, they want to lean heavily on Jamal Williams, who is no longer here, but uh, Deandre Swift, like, like this is a team that it might not throw it a hundred times a game, but they want to have that kind of like running, running hard nose kind of mentality. And they want to be able to run it effectively right at somebody. Um, And they've done that a lot with, like uh, using jumbo packages with an extra offensive lineman, usually Matt Nelson. I think a lot of that is the byproduct of just not having great blockers at tight end. Uh, TJ Hawkinson was definitely not that. Brock Wright has come a long way, but he's, I would call him an average NFL blocker, maybe slightly above average. I think in this draft, which as you said, Ben, very accurately is deep at tight end. It's, it's one of the deepest tight end drafts in memory. Um, there's a lot of guys who can be that for Detroit good blockers who can also add something in the passing game. Um, I don't think it's going to be in the first round for everyone who's having visions of Brandon Pettigrew and, <laughs> Oh man, Eric Ebron. Those were the, those were some tough years. Um, and Hawkinson was good in his own right, but I think the Hawkinson trade and how well the lines did after it shows that he wasn't really a difference maker in the offense. He was just kind of a guy who caught footballs that came his way and those footballs could go other places and the lines were just fine without him, but they can invest a day two pick in the position. And that's what I'm expecting going into this draft. Um, they don't need to do it in the first round. Sorry, Mel Kuyper. It's not going to be Michael Mayer. I don't think it's not going to be Dalton Kincaid. I, I love those guys. It just doesn't mm-hmm. fit with the lions. Like what, where they are and their needs and, and, and so forth. But on day two, I don't know if he's going to be there, Ben, but I love Darnell Washington. Yeah. I, I love that fit for Detroit. The more that I think about it, the more I envision what he could be in this offense, a six foot seven, 260, whatever pound. I mean, he was a lethal, lethal blocker at Georgia lethal. I mean, like one of the best in the country at that position, 
and he only caught 40 something footballs, but I think that had a lot to do with just the stacked nature of the Georgia offense. Um, you know, he can really run. I mean, he had, he said the combine record for a man, his size um, force. I don't know what, it, I don't know what it was. I don't have the number in front of me, but it was super fast, faster than you and me. Yes. <laughs> 260, <laughs> uh, 260, whatever pounds. Um, I like, if he's there on day two, I think the lions have the eighth picked on day two. I, I forget yeah, exactly. I that's right. But, yeah. Uh, uh, but he's going to be number one on their shopping list. If he's still there, I think. And, and they've gone all the directions at other positions um on day one i yeah i, I think a day two tight ends coming and darnell washington is my favorite if, if he makes it out of the first round no i mean washington would be just like an ideal stylistic fit for exactly yeah they got 48 and 55 in the second round i mean that's that's i mean you have to cross your fingers and hope that the run on tight ends skips darnell washington but i do find that hard to believe it is He's just built like a truck, and the fact that he caught 40 catches despite sharing a tight end room with Brock Bowers at Georgia remains pretty impressive for a guy that's so blocking-minded like him. But, yeah, I don't have anything else to add. I mean, Brock Wright, average NFL blocker, he wins through willingness. That's good. That's great. But, like, a talent upgrade is 100% needed. Don't do it in the first round. There are guys there. Let's do a, uh, let's do a fun one, yeah? Yeah. Uh, your mom's house <laughs> asks... <laughs> Uh, what are your go-to meals and cocktails for draft weekend, knowing it's a marathon? Um, I guess just more broadly, then, what kind of rituals do you have to get your to get your ass through? Uh, uh, as the guy said, um, <laughs> marathon. All the stupid energy drinks on the face of the earth, and usually Sour Patch Kids, and uh, you know <laughs> that's uh, you know there's usually a pizza in the mix between days one yeah. and two that'll last for about thirty hours in there too. But that's that's about it. This will actually be my first draft in allen park oh i two, totally forgot two covid years and yeah. then last year extremely symptomatic covid locked me down at home for one more remote year so I, i'm walking into a whole brand new lockdown world <laughs> so wait so you've never covered a draft in allen park nope every draft has been from the chair i'm sitting in right now <laughs> <laughs> this is your fourth year in the beat right <laughs> i'm going into my fifth season <laughs> <laughs> that's hysterical I, that's, I that's how weird that. it's been man <laughs> yeah wild well i can tell you it's not a lot of fun <laughs> yeah. i mean there's a lot of excitement and you know all the stuff that you've been pouring over uh every inch of and all you know working out all of these scenarios for months and talking to these guys and going to the combine and going to the senior bowl and talking to a million people and talking to draft analysts and talking to brad holmes or before him um bob quinn and like it's just a uh, it's just a laborious process and so you get to draft night and there's an excitement you know that like okay like this is it like it's it's gonna go down um and then it's you know on, on the first night you get to see you know the, the the guy they get inevitably will change the calculus on that side of the ball and then on day two day three like you're dramatically changing the roster uh, like instantly and there's a lot of optimism, which around these parts has been in short supply, although obviously things are changing. But it's like that that brief time where it's like, oh, OK, like they've addressed their biggest needs and things are going to be better this time. And there's a lot of hope pouring at Allen Park. And um, it, it, it's it's uh, it's an interesting time from our perspective as journalists. Um, but it's just a lot of work, as you know, having covered it remotely and. 
um, to get myself through like there's not a lot of sleep involved you know the lines do a great job of taking care of us with like catered food and stuff um, we really are pampered by by the team um, cocktails might be involved on day three I'm probably not allowed to say but there there has been some adult um, substances involved <laughs> uh, as you're getting to the end of a, a three-day marathon where you just don't stop you just don't stop writing don't stop interviewing and uh it's it's i like the nfl draft i also hate it and uh i'm eager for what's like may third or second or whatever it is day after the draft this year yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it'll be interesting next year ben i have like just like seeing the past couple of years these masses of million people in the streets uh, for the live draft um and to think next year about it being in detroit and what that's going to look like because detroit's you know, I, I love this city. It's not a, a big downtown. And the thought of five, six, seven hundred thousand people on those streets, um, man, it's going to be a party. Yeah, that's I keep forgetting that that is literally a year from now. That's uh, yeah. yeah, that's going to be a busy week. <laughs> All right. Um, let's go to David Benjamin. He asks. Are Lions fans sleeping on Josh Pascal and the defensive line overall? Um, Kaminsky won't have a club on his hand next year. It's another year for uh, Ali McNeil and Isaiah Bugs. Lots of depth at defensive end. Seems like the urgent D-line help is a little overblown. Um, sure, you can always upgrade, but if healthy, they seem solid. And I, I pulled this question because it's one I've also seen uh, from other other people um, on Twitter and in my email inbox. I'm sure you've seen it too. So how do you view the need up front on the defensive line? Do you, do you feel like that's being overblown a little bit? I do not. I do not. I think that interior defensive line is a massive need for a team that allowed what 5.4, 5.3 yards per carry last season. And I'm, I love Isaiah Bugs. I think he's a great piece for this team, but I think if you can find someone to take his role last year, slide him into Benito Jones's 20 to 30 snap roll a game, you are much better on the interior defensive line. They need girth. They need somebody in the middle. In the first part of that question, I do agree with. I do think people are sleeping on Pasco a little bit. He's a very versatile inside-outside piece. Him paired with Kaminsky gives them a ton of versatility on that defensive line, but they need someone to put next to Twinkle Toes, Dancing Teddy Bear McNeil in the middle. I mean, he needs a mate in the middle. Bugs is a glue guy. Bugs has made some great plays last year, got better as the stretch went on, but they need an upgrade at that position. Keep Bugs in the mix, but you need someone in front of him. You need someone eating those 35, 45 snaps games. Bugs is not built to play that many snaps in a game, and I think they've more or less come out and said that. You know, So I, I really don't think it's overblown. This They need defensive lineup firmly in the middle of that line, for sure, if they want to bring this whole thing together because uh, they're close. They are absolutely close, and I do get the pushback about the need there, but – on the inside, very specifically, is their top need in my mind still? Yeah, particularly in defense, I, I agree with you. I don't have much to add, so I don't have to. Uh, I don't have to echo you. Um, the edge depth is better. It's not there. They could use one more playmaker to improve the depth there, really uh, to create kind of that relentless pass rush that you want, no matter who's out there. Um, they're further away though on the inside. Uh, like I, I don't know, like. Ali McNeil is a fine NFL player. He has not developed into like the the game record that that some thought he might be. We saw it against the Giants last year. He was uh, an animal that day. 
but most of the time he's just fine. Um, they have edge guys who can slide in and play well. I like what John Kaminsky does in, uh, inside, as the questioner suggests. You know, Josh Paschal has shown that potential as well. He only played about half the year last year because of injuries, but when he was in there, he had some inside outside flex to him that that I liked a lot. Uh, Aid Hutchinson himself can play inside, but in terms of interior defensive linemen who are going to hold their ground in the running game, would what kind of game record do they have? They, they, they don't have that, right? There's, there's mm-hmm. not a guy that's on this roster who's going to play interior defensive line and be an yeah. animal against the run, right? Or am I missing somebody? No, you're, no, you're there. <laughs> yeah. And in the pass rush, uh, like outside of the edge defenders who slide inside, I don't know that they have an interior pass rusher that is worth really anything. I, 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 unless I'm missing something. Like, like I love... When John Kaminsky goes inside, mm-hmm. uh, he makes shit happen. Uh, uh, Aiden Hutchinson had some great passive rushes from the inside. But those are edge guys. In terms of your defensive tackles, like Levi Anzarike was supposed to be that. Levi Anzarike, he's had one day of contact drills in the last year and a half. So you, I don't think you can count on him for anything. If you get anything from him going forward uh, this year or in his career in Detroit, I think at this point, in my view, is a bonus. Like, I just don't think you can count on him anymore to be the guy you thought he was going to be, which is the impact pass rusher. So they don't have that. They don't have uh, a strong run defender nor an impact pass rusher from the interior. So that's why the need is so high. Even if they do have some of these bodies back, I, you know, Bugs, like you said, is is fine. And um, Ali McNeil, he's fine. But, like, you're missing a playmaker. Like you want more plays up front, then go get a playmaker. And that's why, that's why there's so much talk about the lines going and get a guy like that uh, in the NFL draft. Yeah. And when you swing and miss, I mean, I don't even want to call it a swing and miss. I mean, Levi's just had bad luck and just unfortunate things that lingered from his college career. They got worse, but I mean, he was pick 41. That's a high investment. That's a swing and a miss. That's a hole right there. So yeah, that's all I got on that one to add. You, you may not want to call it a swing and a miss, but you can call it a swing and a miss. That's yeah. Fine. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you're right. It was a swing and a miss. He's played 16 uh, games and has one sack in two years. So swing and a miss. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, a good question from Sean Reese. Um, because of what we just saw in the Akuda trade, because of one, lack of consistent performance, two, health issues, three, being in year four of a rookie contract, uh, Sean is asking, do you think the same could happen to Swift that happened to Akuda for the same reasons? Akuda was traded this week to Atlanta for a fifth round pick uh, after three really bad years. And as he says, uh, injuries had a, a big uh, uh was a big reason for it deandre swift has been an impact player on the field much much better than jeff okuda but his impact has been limited by the injuries and we're going into a contract year now so i guess your thoughts on where deandre swift is where he's headed what the line should do here at, at running back i think deandre swift and i have similar trade value right now uh not to be too mean about that but i I just don't i think if they were to even try to move him the best you're going to get is like a conditional sixth or a seventh i i just think he's going to get interest on the open market when he hits it a year from now because of what he's shown but i don't think there's anybody in their right mind giving up assets for somebody who is just continuously struggled to be available fully available i mean after a year talking about tough love and playing through hurt and the difference and injured and stuff it was his like least quantitative season in the pros in year three. So I just think 
a team upgrading at running back. There's a chance to upgrade the position in the draft. I mean, I think they're going to give Swift every chance to break out because the talent is there. I mean, he's a very, very, very dual threat, explosive, talented guy, but I just think he's at the bottom of the roster in terms of dependability. And at this stage of the rebuild, you need to invest and you need to play guys that are going to be there and that you get know are going to be there. So I just, I, 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 I would have a tough time imagining the Lions getting anything, anything even remotely of substance back for DeAndre Swift. I Yeah, it, it's hard because I also thought of the same thing about Jeff Okuda and they got a fifth-round pick out of it, although I think it's worth noting that the Lions are also paying like mm-hmm. um, like $1.5 million <laughs> to make that happen. Um, but with DeAndre Swift, like he's a better player. And then you know, Jeff Okuda, he's actually demonstrated something at the NFL level, whereas I don't know if, if Jeff Okuda has. Um, and you can't teach home run ability. You, you simply can't. You got it or you don't. And we know that Swift has it. The, the, the problem is, is like the health thing and like just not being available. He missed basically the entire training camp his rookie year with an injury and had to open that season on the bench behind – um, um, Adrian Peterson in a freaking wheelchair because you know, like that that last stage of his career, and DeAndre Swift was coming off the bench behind, uh, behind him because of how little he had practiced. A year later, he missed all of training camp again because of another injury, or most of training camp because yeah. of injury. Last year was his healthiest season, and I think he played what like twelve games, eleven games. Like, um, it, it's just been a perpetual battle to keep that guy on the field and to keep him healthy. And I know that there's some frustrations internally, not only with the injuries, but maybe his ability to play through some of the injuries along the way. Um, and, and, you know, he's, he's, he's fought, but he has not been successful in that fight. And so I think that ultimately, like there's some trade value there. I just don't think what you get for him and, uh, you know, going into a contract year, would make trading him worth it. Right. I, I honestly think that they're better off just keeping him, letting him play out the 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 final year of his rookie contract. You know, he you know he's gonna bring his best football this year because it's his last chance to make a statement before getting paid next next offseason. Um and maybe he'll be maybe he'll stay healthy or maybe he won't, but you know he's a home run hitter off the bench. Mm-hmm. I just think that relying on DeAndre Swift to carry your running game, to lead your running game, that would be the mistake. And they're clearly not doing it. They just paid three years, 18 million for David Montgomery. They're going to share the backfield. I bet David Montgomery has a similar workload to Jamal Williams the past couple of years, maybe even more than that. He's been a workhorse in in Chicago. Um, And keep DeAndre Swift as healthy as possible for December and especially January. Um, And what that looks like, no one really knows. Um, but I, I think ultimately that's the, the best path forward for a season like this. I, I think they could probably get a fifth or sixth rounder, but I think having a home run hitter off the bench, even if it's only for five or six or eight or 10 games, um, is, is worth more to them than having a, another late, another late round pick. No, I absolutely. And just looking at the stats, the DeAndre Swift experience is perfectly explained. Career high, 14 games played, eight starts last season, career low, 99 rush attempts. So it's just, I thought they did such a good job of keeping him fresh through the offseason and training camp too. And it's just, yeah, I just think NFL teams, the other 31 NFL teams would be better suited waiting for this guy next year. You know, and just to the same point that you said, that the Lions are better off just keeping him. 
that guy is better on your team for seven carries than somewhere else. So it's like, you're going to get more out of that than shipping him off elsewhere, even if he's hurt for five other games. So yeah, yeah, I, I just, I, I just think it's best for everyone involved to wait until next year to put assets into him. Yeah, I, and I don't think they will. I think they're going to no, draft I don't running back, they and they'll have David Montgomery, and they'll have DeAndre Swift, and they'll have the the rookie running back um, they'll bring along, and then next year is going to be David Montgomery and the guy they, they draft this year. I, I really believe that's what's going to be their plan mm. in the backfield because they do – they do Ben, they do want to control games on the ground. Dan Campbell wants to run the football. We Their scheme design in the running game is so good. They, 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 yeah. they should be way more productive than when they were, and what they were still pretty damn per, you know productive. It was just like – their best rushing season since the Barry years. Um, they weren't like an elite unit, but they were productive. And in those situations where you had um, got to have it, they, they often did get it, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but with the offensive line, they have the scheme they have, they should be even better. And I think they're going to draft a guy um, that can take them forward with Dave Mon- David Montgomery. I just, I think that if you're a team that wants to rely on the running game, you can't rely on a guy like DeAndre Swift, who's just never healthy. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, there's more questions, man, but I think uh, I, I think we're running out of time. <laughs> we've been getting more questions as we've been recording. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, 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 I know. I just opened up Twitter. I'm like, oh, yeah. man. <laughs> Lions fans, yeah. you're a hungry bunch. <laughs> it's that time of year, Ben. It's that time of year. Okay, so uh, we'll be back next week with another draft episode of, of the podcast. Um, we do have a guest lined up. I don't want to say it yet just because – these seem, you know, these things have a way of falling through sometimes. But if what we think is going to happen happens, it's a it's a great guest uh, with a Lions connection, a national profile, a guy who really knows the game. Um, and so I'm excited for that chat, Ben. Uh, I think we'll talk more about the quarterbacks and the Lions um, prospects in that market because I think it, I really think like I don't know what they'll do at quarterback in the draft, but I think no matter what they do or don't do a quarterback will have ramifications and echoes for, for years to come. I think it's the, the quarterback question is the biggest question about this team heading into the draft, even if they don't take one, because by not taking one, you're implicitly saying Jared Goff's your guy, which will itself have major implications. Absolutely. Um, and then the week after that, Ben is the NFL draft. <laughs> <laughs> Two weeks from today. Yeah. Uh, no doubt. We go into a cave and come out four days later. Yeah. Oh man. All right, man. Good stuff. And uh, we'll see you. This has been Ben Raven and Kyle Mikey of MLive's Detroit Lions Beat. Thank you for listening to the Dungeon of Doom, an MLive Detroit Lions podcast. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Acast, Apple, Spotify, Google. Like I said, wherever you get them and listen to them, make sure to subscribe to the Dungeon of Doom. Thanks again.